Hello and welcome everyone to episode 30 of the Ducky O'Brien Show and I have returned home. My goodness, I miss having two monitors. I know, it's a first world problem, but man, just having one small screen was very difficult when making content. Anyways, we have four more games to cover. I was a little bit late because I was traveling. I got stuck doing things, so I know I'm about a week late. A little bit over a week late, but here is the episode. We have four more games to go into, and as always, I think I'm going to make it a thing where I thank everyone for listening uh, in the very beginning. So thank you. I see a lot of people are listening to my podcast. I don't know where y'all are coming from, but thank you so much for listening to my show. I appreciate each and every one of you. Okay, so we got four games today. Halma, a Detected Noir Story, which is a interactive visual novel. We have Bit Trip Rerunner, which is like the ultimate remake of the Bit Trip series. It's a runner game. And then we have the first Descendant beta I played. It was essentially a looter shooter, kind of like Destiny 2. And then we have Conquistadorio, which is a point and click adventure game. Why don't we get started with Halma? Halma, a detective noir story, is an interactive visual novel. The game features a gripping narrative backed by solid voice acted lines of dialogue. The story does start off slow, but once it gets going, it managed to pull me in and keep me invested in how the ending would pay off, despite some moments that did manage to break the immersion. While I do view the game in an overall positive light, I did find the puzzle elements to be the weakest part of the game, in my humble opinion. The game features something called the Mind Board, which is simply an inventory to store all the items you come across in your playthrough. The only difference is that Hama also stores thoughts and concepts as items as well. They function exactly the same as physical items in that you have to drag the correct thought or item to the corresponding thought or item in order to progress. For example, in the very beginning of the game, you have to direct the protagonist Judith to connect her having dinner to reading a newspaper article that had the face of her not-so-great boss, which sent her into a rage, which caused her to crumple up the paper and throw it, leading you to find your phone that was missing. It sounds complicated, but it's actually quite simple since you can only connect two things at a time, and most of the time, the things you connect make sense. This leads to most of the puzzles actually not being puzzles. They require no logical deduction based on existing evidence and simply rely on you connecting the right thought or item to the corresponding thought or item. This makes the puzzling feel like a very passive experience and I would rather have either more engaging puzzles or an even more passive experience so I can just simply enjoy the narrative. The need to correctly link thoughts and items in the correct order led to some frustrating moments where you felt like you reached an appropriate conclusion based on what Judith would say but then you would need to link a few more items before you could actually progress. This led to some moments where you ended up doing what you normally do in some classic point-and-click adventure games when you get stuck, clicking on every item and combining them in every possible way in the hopes of brute-forcing the answer. This is why I would prefer more logical deduction-based puzzles so you could actually solve the puzzle, or have a more passive experience so the immersion isn't broken by frantically trying out every possible combination to move on. It really did break the pacing of the mostly excellent narrative. Now, not every single puzzle was like this. Some required actual logical deduction. The only problem is that the solution can be easily brute-forced for some of the puzzles. 
For example, the earliest puzzles that required actual logical deduction was related to a key and to beer barrels. The key had four adjustable sections, and you're supposed to set it to a certain ear mentioned in a conversation. I was just playing around with the key, and I accidentally solved it in less than a minute. The way the key is set makes it incredibly easy to solve. The purpose of a puzzle is to obfuscate the answer so you can only reach it by knowing how to actually solve it. There's no purpose to a puzzle that can be easily solved by accident for these type of games. This also goes for the beer barrel puzzle as well. You are supposed to break the proper barrel to receive a clue, and it's quite literally the second barrel in a sequence of five or so. It made me a tad disappointed because the puzzle involved combining ciphers, and that was an interesting concept, but so easily solved by brute force. Now, these are just minor personal nitpicks of mine. I've read through most of the reviews and forum posts that I could find on Steam, and it seems like most people don't find these issues I pointed out as a problem for the most part. It's entirely possible most people will not see the things I mentioned above as a detraction, but I thought I'd mention it in the case that some may hold a similar view to mine. My main goal is to point out possible elements in games that may be seen as positive or negative to people thinking about purchasing the game. While I do tend to focus mostly on the parts of the game that I find to be negative, I actually quite enjoyed Halma. The story takes some wild and wacky turns, and it has what you would call an explosive ending. I'm going to avoid any narrative spoilers as much as possible because it would definitely ruin the experience. There were some small moments that did take me out of narrative, but they were incredibly minor and far and few between. One such moment is where Judith pushes over a flimsy ladder and manages to knock someone out with it. It's pretty silly, but nothing major in the grand scheme of things. This pretty much sums up Halma. It's an overall enjoyable experience with some minor flaws. The positives definitely outweigh the negatives in my opinion. The narrative chops are definitely there and if the mind board experience can be tweaked and streamlined a bit, the narrative experience would be perfect. For additional info, the game currently has a review score of 86% positive with a total of 43 reviews as of this writing on September 27, 2023. Halma was developed by Sanem Games, it was published by Assemble Entertainment, and was released on September 11, 2023 with an MSRP of $12.49. I received the key from Keymailer thanks to the Wunderbar person for approving my request. I spent a total of 7.6 hours playing the game so far there are no achievements for this game. Moving on to BitTrip Rerunner. BitTrip Rerunner revisits the classic BitTrip Runner series and comes complete with extra levels, additional material that gives a peek behind the scenes, and a level maker to make, share, and play user-created levels. If you are a fan of the BitTrip series, Rerunner definitely looks to be the ultimate version out as of now. I played the original BitTrip Runner back in 2011 and I do remember enjoying the game so I went back and reinstalled it to take a trip down memory lane. I do have to say the original game is much more difficult than I remember. Or I could just be getting old and turning into a filthy casual. Anyways, Rerunner makes use of generous checkpoints in the levels. If you hit an obstacle or miss a gold bar, you can go back to the most recent checkpoint to start that section over without having to redo the entire level. The original runner game has no checkpoints and even a normal difficulty has a much higher density of obstacles and gold bars to get. The remake definitely feels much easier to play and way more accessible to gamers of all levels. 
You can still increase the difficulty and turn off checkpoints to simulate a higher level of difficulty if so desired. As a side note, there are a few achievements linked to this. As for other differences, Rerunner has much better graphics and some new abilities. An Absorb ability as well as the Blast ability were added into the game. Absorb is used to absorb solid black cubes that block your way, while Blast is mostly used to destroy white aerial cubes. As for how the game feels, it manages to capture the same feel of the series while providing a fresh coat of paint and making it much more accessible. There's just something catchy about the rhythm-based mechanics of BitTrip blending in with the retro-esque chiptune soundtrack that makes it a blast to play. The level designer seems pretty simple and intuitive to use for the most part. I didn't really get to mess around with it a lot, but what little I did play with seemed to be very easy to use. There's already a substantial amount of levels to begin with, especially considering the bonus levels, but when you add in the user-created levels, there's a fair amount of running to be done. Overall, Bitcher Runner doesn't break any new ground with the runner genre, and they certainly could have done the bare minimum with the remake and cashed out, but boy, can I tell the developers actually put in a lot of love and care into this game. You can feel it oozing out of every pore. That's what sums up Bitrip for me. It's a solid game made by people who care. For additional information, the game currently has a review score of 98% positive on Steam with a total of 115 reviews as of this writing on September 27, 2023. Bitrip Rerunner was developed by Choice Provisions and Gamecraft Studios. It was published by Choice Provisions on September 19, 2023 with an MSRP of $19.99 US dollars. I received the key from Keymailer, thanks to the runnerific person for approving my request. I currently have 6.3 hours into the game, and 10 out of 36 achievements earned. There are quite a bit having to do with double perfecting the bonus levels, which I have yet to do. A small note here, I think I remember getting Bitrip Runner in a Humble Bundle maybe? I remember playing that game in Audio Surf back in the day, so it was definitely a blast of nostalgia for me. Okay, moving on to The First Descendant. The First Descendant is a looter shooter from Nexon. You shoot things, get guns to shoot bigger things, to get even better guns to shoot even bigger enemies. You get the picture. Destiny 2, Warframe, and Borderlands are some games from the same vein. There is one major thing I noticed when starting The First Descendant. The game is quite possibly the most bland, blasé, and possibly AI-generated game I have seen thus far. This isn't to say the entire experience is terrible per se, especially for fans of never-ending content treadmills. There are just so many progression trackers to grind. As for what makes the game bland and blasé, there is, at least to me, no perceivable evidence of any actual care or effort put into the game. It is entirely devoid of any soul. You start out with a cutscene that lays out a story that looks and feels eerily similar to Shatterline. The dialogue and voice acting are so bland they feel AI generated. There is no emotion whatsoever in the writing as well as the inflections of the voices. I understand some could argue that I'm AI, I know I sound dead, (laughs) but that is just me. I am not a professional voice actor. Moving on, even the animations for the NPC quest givers and enemies look like something you get for free in the Unity or Unreal Asset Store. One specific example that I can think of is when the NPC quest givers talk to you. The camera is looking straight at the character and the character is centered on the screen. 
This makes it look and feel incredibly amateurish, and to some it may bring feelings of nostalgia, but that is beside the point. Their face has this rubbery look to it as they move their mouth to the dialogue, and this is something I've seen for AI automated lip syncing in other video games. It looks pretty silly because it appears as if the characters lack any bones in their face. Now, I don't mean to disparage games for not handcrafting everything, I get it, it is very time consuming to handcraft everything and developers may not have the time, experience, or skill necessary to do so. However, it does become a problem when the entire game feels like corners were cut. I'm totally fine with flaws in a game as long as the developer tried and you can feel some redeemable qualities in the core of the game. I'm not fine with flaws when the game is made by a larger studio and corners are cut in quality, but not in the manipulative engagement and monetization methods in order to increase quote-unquote metrics with the absolute least amount of effort put into making the game in order to maximize profit. This detestable behavior seems to be becoming the norm in the world of game development sadly and even defended by developers and PR people themselves as many have witnessed after the outcry from some absolutely entitled and out-of-touch people upon the release of Baldur's Gate 3. I can go on with this forever. Rant aside, the goofy lip-syncing animation isn't the only telltale sign of cut corners. The level design feels incredibly bland. The first area is a large but lifeless green field with stone cliffs. The scenery is occasionally broken by run-down buildings. The second area is the same as the first just more rockier. These levels honestly feel like an acid flip or something that could be made in an Unreal Engine tutorial in an hour or less. The world is lifeless and you start missions by interacting with a beacon, which usually spawns in enemies. And as you can guess, the enemy design and animations feel very canned as well. They will run into walls, cliffs, each other, and other obstacles unintelligently. There is even one enemy that shoots into the air. As for the missions themselves, you usually defend a point on the map, survive for a set amount of time, or deliver a certain amount of objectives to a delivery robot. Now this may all sound terrible or even great to some, but the most important question is, is it fun? My personal answer is while I didn't find it fun, it was definitely playable in short sessions if you had nothing better to do to kill time. As for other possible opinions, if you take a look at SteamDB, the playtest had a peak of around 50k players and ended with a slow decline to around 10k. That is a pretty darn good showing for just a week long beta. And during that week, I've seen people who've actually maxed out their characters, which is pretty insane to think about. As for why some may find it fun, the shooting did feel pretty okay. The enemies were pretty easy to kill and this is a bonus to me personally speaking since I absolutely detest bullet sponges. While the quests were bland and repetitive, they didn't take too much time to complete and you're constantly getting new loot, although the performance increase is only incremental at best. The game also has so many progression trackers that you can grind. Each weapon has their own progression tracker along with a bunch of other meters to grind. You will always have something to do and this will either be a boon or a curse depending on your preference. In addition to all these progression trackers, you can also unlock new characters which also take a lot of grind as they require a lot of resources. The characters do look unique and there are a lot of waifus in this game. If there's one thing Korean developers do better than others, it's the character design. I just wish they would put in just as much effort into the actual gameplay.
This is next time we're talking about, however. Overall, the first ascendant just seems like a lazy cash grab. Everything feels so incredibly lazily done. The game is competent enough to play, but I feel like I'm selling for something less when there's so many other better made games to play at this point. Will some people enjoy it? Absolutely, just like there are people who enjoy doing cocaine. Just because people like doing it doesn't mean it's good or good for you. I think I'm doing cocaine a disservice by comparing it to the first Ascendant, however. For additional information, the game has no review scores because it's not out yet. It was developed by Nexon Games Co. Limited. It was published by Nexon, and it should be coming out soon. I believe it will be a free-to-play game, and so far I've spent 5.9 hours playing the beta. I have no achievements as this is the beta. Okay, moving on to our next game, Conquistadorio. Conquistadorio is a rather macabre point-and-click adventure game. The general atmosphere and feel of the game is pretty unique as a result. For some reason I can't quite put my finger on, the game conjures up the same feeling as Limbo, even though the two games are quite different in mechanics. The similar feeling may be due to the dark but quiet atmosphere Conquistadorio shares with Limbo. There's a strange but calming sense of quietness to the game. While Limbo can get pretty gruesome with the many ways the protagonist can die, Conquistadorio shows the main protagonist butchering these giant pillbug-like insects with no regard for the sanctity of life. For example, for one puzzle, you pull a mostly dead pillbug out of the water with a hook and then proceed to cut a hole in its skull and pull out a robotic organ of sorts. In the process, you see the character just scooping out the innards whilst the bug seems to be in its final death throes. The cartoonish graphics provide a stark contrast to the more gruesome displays of violence. Macabre elements aside, Conquistadorio is a classic point-and-click adventure game at its very core. It shares the same DNA as the classic point-and-click games of yore, and while I see this as mostly high praise, it also means that game shares the same elements that can cause frustration to most gamers in this genre. Solving puzzles in Conquistadorio is definitely satisfying. It feels fantastic because the game doesn't put on the baby gloves and just throws you into the mix. There's really no overall sense of what you're supposed to do at any given moment. Some games will point you in the general direction, i.e. open this door or get past this guard, but this game will do no such thing. This makes the puzzles truly feel like puzzles you are solving, but it also creates temporary moments of frustration where a player may feel completely lost and unsure of how to proceed. This results in the very common practice of frantically clicking on everything visible and then trying to combine as many items as possible and using those combinations on the environment until something progresses. While these frustrating moments of feeling lost are a standard rite of passage for most point-and-click adventure games, it may deter, how do I put this, a generation of gamers trained for immediate gratification off from giving the game a chance. This is quite unfortunate because Conquistadorio is quite possibly one of the more interesting games I've played in a while, thanks to the puzzles. I also understand that this type of game isn't for everyone to begin with. The way the narrative is delivered is quite interesting as well. It takes a more hands-off approach and uses the environment and short interactions between characters to tell the story. Much like the puzzles, the story is designed to let the player fill in many of the large gaps in order to come to a tidy, logical conclusion. Overall, Conquistadorio is a fantastic point-and-click adventure. They managed to copy the DNA of the classics right down to both the euphoria that comes from solving the puzzles and the frustrating moments leading up to the solutions, 
but with a uniquely macabre aesthetic and feel. The only criticism I have is I wish the little hint button to the highlight objects you can interact with would make the items more visible. The dot is so tiny and my old man eyes can't spot it as easily anymore. For additional information, the game has no review score as it isn't out yet as of this writing on October 3rd, 2023. Conquistadorio was developed by Morion Studio, it was published by AD Gaming, and it will be releasing on October 20th, 2023. I have no pricing information, but if I'm guessing, most of these games usually come out anywhere from $15 to $25. I received the key from Keymailer, thanks to lending me a hand and a boot. I spent a total of 2.2 hours so far, and I have earned 8 out of the 16 achievements. Okay, that's gonna be it for episode 30 of the Ducky O'Brien Show. As always, thank you so much for listening, I really do appreciate it. If you want more information about these games, I usually link the Steam Store page in the description of the podcast, as well as my video playing through the game. I also stream it can also go check out other content creators covering the game. Whatever will help you make a better purchasing decision. If you want to reach out to me, you can email me at duckyobrienshow at gmail.com. That's D-U-C-K-Y-O-B-R-I-E-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment on any one of my channels. A lot of coverage on my YouTube channel, my Twitch channel, and my blog if you want to check those out. It's mostly there, once again, as like a service to help people make better purchasing decisions. If it doesn't help you, you don't gotta check it out. It's not really made to be entertaining content or anything. In my opinion, if you make it too entertaining, you're overselling the game. Because when you play a game, there are a lot of boring sections to deal with. And a lot of frustration figuring out the game and getting good at it. Like, you're cutting that out, and I think you're doing, you know, a a possible customer disservice by making it look way better than it is thank you so much for dropping by and listening i really do appreciate it and as always hope you guys are staying safe and seen out there and i'll catch you guys next time